just so you know, I, I, there's like a big pit right here this morning, so I'm just going to work through the nervousness, but it's good. I like being nervous. Uh, you guys should be worried if I was up here and too comfortable. That would, that would be something to worry about, but a few things. Um, we're going to be talking about the Bible this morning. Uh, But more than that, we're going to be talking about how to approach the Bible, like how to study it, how to dig into the Word. How many of you guys generally uh, are intimidated by studying Scripture? Anybody? They find it hard, like challenging, confusing. Um, I think if we're all being a little honest, you know, a lot of us are probably going to, you know, like John 3.16. Well, I can understand that, you know, but what about like the Levitical law or Deuteronomy or the Old Testament. I think if we were to dig into that, it, we would struggle quite a bit to really see, like, where is Jesus in this? Or like, how do I understand this? This doesn't make sense. What do you mean Ezekiel went and laid naked in the street for several days? Like, what is that about? Right? And so we have a hard time understanding things like that. And so as we're going through this passage this morning, it's going to be almost like a sermon slash like Bible study course. And part of that is putting tools in your hand, and it's this bookmark that Jeremiah has lovingly labored over and created. And this is the concept that I'm trying to get across. And biblically, or well, I'd say academically, the word for this is hermeneutics. Can we all say hermeneutics, right? But I want to, like, simplify that so we don't have to say hermeneutics because I'm going to get tired of saying hermeneutics, hermeneutics, hermeneutics. Uh, We're just going to say we're building a framework this morning for how to study the Scriptures. And this is your framework, and this is a lot of what I'm communicating this morning. And as I go through the passage this morning, I'm going to be using these concepts as we engage with the passage. So I want to share a couple of examples that are going to help us grasp this concept. And, you know, Jesus talked a lot in, like, allegory and uh, kind of, like, examples or parables. And so I want to give you three of those this morning. I know that sounds like a lot, but they're going to be really short and brief. How many of you have ever ordered a piece of furniture off of Amazon or bought something from Ikea that you have to assemble, right? So we recently put a guest bed in my son's room. It's uh, one of those trundle beds. You pull it out and it turns into a queen bed. So, because we have like friends that come stay with us. And so we like to be hospitable and make sure they have a comfortable place to sleep. Well, when that bed is folded, you know, like it's just a single bed. And Wyatt actually has a room he can play in. Well, when we ordered that bed, I laid out all the pieces and all the parts. And I'm like, okay, I know this is supposed to be a bed. And I know I've got all the pieces to make it a bed. But I, I understand the concept, but I don't know the process. And so where do you find the process to make that a bed? The instructions, right? So you have to have instructions that walk you step by step by step to engage each and every piece, or else you're going to end up with something that really looks like it's not anything, right? And so we have to be careful and not casual when we approach the scriptures and understand the proper process. And the other thing I wanted to ask, how many of you guys wear contact lenses or glasses and have to regularly go for eye screenings? right? The worst part of it for me is that stupid like air thing where they like take a picture. They have to do that like eight times on me because I'm always like doing this. I anticipate it and I just close my eyes constantly. But the other part of a vision screening is where they bring that big like space helmet down to your face, right? And it's just like you're in there and it's like one or two, three or four, right? And with every choice, 
that you make, things become clearer and clearer and clearer, and soon you can read every, almost every one of those lines, right? Well, that's what it's like when we're approaching Scripture. As we build a framework, we're also building a framework to hold the lenses, and the lenses are Jesus. Because the entire purpose of Scripture from beginning to end is Jesus. And so as we build the framework with these questions, like on this bookmark, we have to keep in mind that at the forefront, we're seeking Jesus in the Scriptures. And I have to say that like a lot of times in today's world, we, we often will run to a podcaster or our favorite pastor or teacher or academic and, and or our commentary when we're trying to understand Scripture. That seems to be that if we can't get it on the first reading, we immediately run to those things. But we don't really do that in any other area of academia for our world that we live in, right? How many times have you ever went and watched a movie or bought like a fiction novel and you immediately run to the store and get a commentary how to understand it, right? Like we don't do that. And so what I want us to like understand today is like scripture is sufficient to stand on its own. We don't, we don't need those things. They could be helpful resources, but I just want us to keep that in mind that God wants us to understand his word. He didn't give it to us to just confuse us so we're running around, right? What, did God, what does God do in chaos? He brings order, right? And so what we're doing is in our study today, we're bringing order to that study so that we're not like just running around like, I don't understand this, right? I'm just going to cling to this and, and not really kind of go outside of it, right? So I want to pose to you some questions that are going to kind of stir some thought. And today we're going to be talking about like the why we study scripture and the how. It's going to be the why and the how. So the heart, right? The heart level of it, like why do we do this? And then the why is going to be like how we reason with it, how we handle it, like the application of it. And I want to ask you, like, can, you, can we really understand the world that we see and experience and walk in today without understanding our Bible first? Is that possible? Because I would say no, because we wouldn't, we wouldn't really have a proper understanding of sin or loss or even like good things that happen without understanding who the author of those things are or the, the person who prevents those things from happening or brings beauty from like loss and destruction and all those things. Like we're not going to comprehend or understand or even know how to like engage those things properly without understanding our Bibles. See, you cannot have a proper understanding of your own life without a healthy understanding or framework to study the scriptures. Is it possible? And here's the other question. Is it possible really for us to even wrestle with like the latest cultural issue or ethnic issues or warring nations or a theological topic or an ethical issue without with just having a cursory reading of the scriptures. Like, can we say, well, here's this new thing. We go and we give five minutes of our attention to the word. And then we turn around and it's like, oh, I, I've got it. I've got the answer. Now, I'm not saying that, like, that can't happen. But more often than not, I would think that the things that we're faced with, especially tragedy or things like that that are really weighty, we can't just turn around and just flippantly read scripture. And I'm not saying it's not possible, but it, it deserves time and effort, and patience, and we don't like that because we're in the, the age of, like, instant gratification. Like, I have to stop myself often on a daily basis from just, like, mindlessly reaching for my phone, and it really just to open an app and, like, just engage it for, like, uselessness. 
And we've, we train ourselves to do that, and that's a habit that we've created. And, and, and what I want to confront today is, like, how do we take that useless habit and make it a good habit in engaging this word and engaging the scriptures, right? Because this is easy. It requires no effort. It, it, we can actually do it on compulsion. And, we're, and there's, you know, pr- there's dopamine hits and response and rewards. This over here is frustrating, right? It, it would be equivalent of like, I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy vegetables because I don't want to wait all season long to harvest my own. Like that's, that's, how we, that's how we act in the day and time we live in. And so um, I've kind of messed this up a little bit, I guess, but uh, we're going to do the uh, authority of Scripture. So if you guys will stand, we're going to read the passage, and then we're going to jump in. It's going to be Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, uh, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And we say, for all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. So as we read the passage, we instantly kind of see some things that stand out, or, or we should. There's a long description of who the Bereans are. I and mean, you actually don't see this in the previous passage where he goes to Thessalonica. He, uh, Luke spends a lot of time describing who the Bereans are and why or how they responded to the gospel. Uh, he goes to great lengths to mark their character qualities. And so, so kind of the main point today of this passage that I believe is it's giving us a framework of heart for how we engage the scriptures or how we receive and process new information or issues or challenges in life or, theolo- or theology, things of that nature. And so as we engage this text, I want to talk a little bit about the cultural or historical context. And we see a lot of times through Acts that Paul immediately goes to the synagogue, which is kind of, we, we understand that. Paul's a Jew, right? He's preaching the gospel, so it makes sense that he would go to a synagogue and so I think in all of our minds, we, we instantly think of like it's a place of Jewish worship, right? That's where they read the Torah. That's where they taught. But synagogues had a unique feature in the day and time that they, they were in. They were always for Jewish worship. But in a lot of towns and cities and provinces, they were also used for town halls, like town meetings. They're also used for like places of public debate. Now, how inter- interesting would that be if we came in here two or three times a week, set up Redstone, and we invited people from the outside world to come in and debate things with us, right? And we reasoned with people in the Scriptures, because that's exactly what Paul and Silas are doing. They're reasoning with them in the Scriptures. They're saying, okay, you're saying this thing about this issue. Well, let's see. Well, I'm going to reason with you from the point of God's Word. And I, I think that's really interesting. I think that's really awesome, and I wish that more people were open to debating stuff like that these days. 
Um, oftentimes you're met with strong emotion, more so than a mind that is willing to reason with things. But Paul and Silas were studying the scriptures with intentionality. They knew they were going into these places where these things were going to be debated and where they were going to talk to people that would normally like be open to those things, but more so not. Like there could be some pagans there that are like willing to debate like the, you know, spiritual issues, things of that nature. So then we, then we go to verse uh, 11, and this is kind of like the heart and the meat of the passage. And this is where we're going to look at the semantics, the syntax. Like what I mean by that is like how, what are the words? How do they relate to each other? What's going on in the scene? Where's the tension point? Where's the resolve point? These kinds of things. And so as we read scripture, obviously we engage with different kinds of literature differently. So we're not going to read a psalm the same way we'll read this today, but this is just a good place to start and kind of get our feet wet in, in hermeneutics. Say framework. Anyways, uh, so Luke goes to great lengths to describe who the Bereans are. He explains like how they responded to the gospel. And the Bereans are actually described here as being noble. And I think when we, when we hear the word noble, we think of like Aslan from Narnia. He's very noble, you know, or like I know my dog at home, she'll sit and she'll just put her chest out and she like puts her head back and she's a hound and she's got kind of that like prestige look to her and she looks very noble, right? Or we think when we think of nobility, we think of someone of high office or like high society status, right? In this particular uh, passage, though, the word noble means something very interesting in the Greek. And I know we say that, and there are some Bible nerds here at Redstone, and that's okay. Be a Bible nerd. Everybody should be a Bible nerd, in my opinion. I mean, we're following our Savior, and we should really, like, take heed at the words he's, he's written, right? But there's, and don't be intimidated by, like, when somebody says, in the Greek, it's just in the Greek. There's all kinds of free resources out there for you to do the same work that I've done today. So don't, don't think that I'm somebody, anything special. And neither are the Bereans. They're just everyday people. But the word noble means to be open-minded, to be fair, to be thoughtful. The Bereans seemed to not actually even consider themselves an expert immediately on the information they were receiving. Like, oh, no, wait, 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 wait. We've already read this. We found it not to be true. No, they, they, they took it into consideration. They, they didn't receive it casually. They didn't say, hey, Paul, that's a cool message, bro, but we're just, we're okay where we're at. Now, that's kind of the way the Jews in Thessalonica responded to him, but it was more with more vigor and anger. We'll get to that later. But they gave it weight. They considered it important. They took the time to turn around and, and investigate it. And, and, and Luke says they received it with eagerness. They welcomed it. How many of us are actually welcoming the information or this, like, like Zach said, he listened to the guy's life story. How many of us are willing to listen to a life story? Or maybe with like a very hot topic in our culture, like politics or something like that. You really want to understand what someone's saying, make their argument for them. Understand. It doesn't mean that you have to believe what they're saying. It just means you're eager to hear what they have to say because you're open-minded, you're fair, you're reasonable, right? Now, what they may be saying may not be reasonable, but you're being a reasonable person to them. And that's the way the Bereans were marked in this moment. They almost had this like childlike eagerness to learn something new as they're sitting at the feet of a teacher. They're, they're, they're excited to hear it. So then they turn around and they, they hold up this message and they weigh it on the scales with Scripture. They say, are these things actually true? 
And they're, they're, the, the word here for eagerness is an interesting word in the Greek also because it means to scrutinize, to investigate, to interrogate. So it's like they took this message, they fixed it in a seat while they're holding the scriptures and they're asking questions of this message. They're saying, is this Jesus really here? Is, so, right? So they're, they're using that lens and they're saying, oh, wait a minute, this is making sense. Jesus, this, this is right. Like all things are pointing to this Jesus. You see, God gave us minds. And a lot of times, and especially in today's world, we, we consider, I, I think almost in a lot of churches, that a heart is far above the mind, right? And, and But what's the entry point of how we receive information, right? We're, we are impacted by stories, but how do we hear the stories? It goes through and it, and it processes through the brain. And we have, and, and what we want is when we're engaging information in Scripture, it goes through here first and then it roots here. Uh, there, there are a lot of places in Scripture where it says to treasure the Lord's word in your heart, to hide it in there, to let it take root. But let's take a look at, we can learn a lot about what they did, but let's take a look at what they didn't do. I think today we can mark two extremes, right? Because humanity, left apart from Jesus, swings in big pendulum swings, right? We overcorrect. And one of those pendulum swings is kind of like emotionally driven spirituality, where it's like we're not engaging Jesus unless it's through our emotions. Unless we're having this uh, euphoric spiritual experience, it's not worth engaging. Right, and then we, and then those people are the ones that beat up on the academics. Are like, oh, you're just dry. Like you're a piece of toast. You're a stiff neck Presbyterian or something like that. Whatever, whatever they want to say, right? And so, what ends up happening is if we're solely led by our hearts, we can become deceived. And what we don't realize is that if we land in a heretical doctrine, that heretical doctrine actually harms you and it will harm others because it will distort as we look through those lenses. It'll distort who Jesus is, and we'll end up with somebody who's actually not even Jesus. But then we'll go on the other side. So it's so you know the emotional person. Uh, even even the um, so then the other side is the academia, the Bible, Bible hammers, right? The gatekeepers, the the uh, the theological like guardians, and these people. They, they may have good doctrine, but they harm people with it. And so while one is so heavenly good, they're of no earthly good. The other one is so earthly, uh, so earthly they're, no, they're of no heavenly good, right? So there has to be a balance here. And we can see the Bereans kind of land right in the middle. Like they're, they're godly, like they're eager, they're open-minded, they're fair, right? They didn't just... Respond with emotion, like, yeah, you're true. It's true. It's all true. And they're running through the streets. With, and, but they, they went to the word. So they firmly fixed their emotions and they rooted their reasoning in the scriptures first. And then what happened is faith was born from that moment. And then the emotions flowed. They were, they were heavenly inspired in their response right? Their hearts were made alive. Their minds were open. Their ears were open. They were seeing things different because the lenses brought clarity. Because Paul brought this new framework 
being Jesus for them to engage the scriptures. But they didn't, and then there's the practical point of it. They didn't just like go in like 10 minutes of study, right? And then they come back and they're like, it's true. It says they, they, they examined the scriptures daily. And it wasn't just daily, it was together. And we live in a time also, I know I speak about time a lot, but I, I think as we read the scriptures, we look at our own hearts, we have to look at the time we live in and how do we fit into that and how has God called us to engage the places we live in right? God puts us in a place and time for a reason. And in today's world, I see the isolated scripture engagement far more important than communal scripture engagement. And I would say outside of community groups and Sunday preaching, how often are we meeting with other believers to wrestle with the scriptures? Because it didn't just say they went alone to the the prayer closet in their houses daily they examine these things no they 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 took it as a community so we're thinking about hot topics today as a church should we all just like individually now it's important that we are engaging the scriptures individually don't think that i'm highlighting one or the other i'm asking for a balance here but as a community we're to wrestle with those things together that's why we have our elders leading us through these issues and preaching from the pulpit so that as a community we can go back to community groups and engage these issues whether it be spiritual issues political issues whatever that may be and so a couple of things we can note about the Bereans that kind of impl- put implications on us one we're entitled and bound to search the scriptures for truth and to weigh the things of this world against it Amen? Two, we're entitled and bound to judge on our own responsibility whether the teaching we receive from our leaders is according to the word of God. Like, as I speak right now, are you just taking me for what I say because you know me and you trust me? And I appreciate that if that is your approach, and I'm glad that I've been reliable and able to earn your trust, but are you going to go today and weigh the things I tell you with the word? Like, what I'm preaching, do you actually see that in this passage by using the proper study tools that I'm giving you through this sermon? Because you should be. Because we're fallible men, and we can screw up. We can mess up. We can miss the mark. But what exactly was the message, I think when we look at this passage, what exactly was that message that the Bereans received? And if we rewind a bit, and this is where we look at the broader context, if we rewind a bit back to the beginning of chapter 17, we see in verse 2 and 3, it says, and Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days to reason with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now, if we roll a little bit further back in the Bible, we go to Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Do you guys remember the, 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 the guys that were walking on the road to Emmaus, right? And Jesus just shows up and is like, bam, I'm here. And he starts talking with them through the scriptures. Well, in that particular grouping of, of passages there, Jesus gets to the end and he's like, all things, the prophets, the law, like the entire Old Testament scriptures point to me. And so even Jesus affirms a Christ-centered hermeneutic. Even Jesus himself, who is God, who we proclaim to be Savior and God and Lord over our lives, is in that moment saying, all of it points to me. 
So that is our lens of which how we approach Scripture. And then we get to like verses 13 through 15 back in uh, chapter 17 in Acts. And we see something weird. We see this like mob coming after Paul and Silas, right? I mean, how many of you guys can imagine, uh, this would be weird, right? If let's say we had somebody from a different church come in and preach a sermon at Redstone. Um, (laughs) How weird would it be if like Spencer and the elders got up and they're like, you're a heretic, we're going to run you out of here. And they're running down Knob Creek or Carroll Creek or whatever road we're on, I think it's Knob Creek, and chasing him, like throwing rocks at him and everything. Like how weird would that be, right? But that's what's happening here. And why is that happening? Well, it's because they were confronted with a Christ-centered framework for studying the Old Testament. Like these are the leaders that were responding this way. But, the, but just the, not just the leaders, they're going into the marketplace and they're stirring up kind of like unreputable characters to join them. And they're like, yeah! Like, and there's, so there's probably pitchforks and rocks and, and, and land, whatever else they could find. And so they're, they're running after these guys. They want to run them out because when you preach the real Christ, the true authority will not rest in the mouth or the hands of the person delivering it. It rests solely in Jesus alone. And that's what they were confronted with. He didn't come selling something like, I'm Paul, you know, kind of hear me roar. He was like, no, it's Jesus is Lord. And so it shook the very foundation of what these folks had rested their authority on. And they realized like, oh, wait, it's almost kind of similar to what happened when the Reformation happened. Like, they're like, no, everybody should be able to read Scripture. Everybody should be able to understand Scripture. And there were actually people arguing, no, not the common man shouldn't read the Bible because they might misinterpret it. Okay, I think that's a real concern. But at the end of the day, God gave his word to everyone. Every person was meant to engage with God's word. And so what happens if we're not Bereans? Well, one, we're going to see jealousy and anger, right? If we're not childlike, if we're not humble, we're going to be like, wait, that can't be right. No. Like, and, and, and then what happens is we're going to see God give people favor and influence who are preaching a Jesus-centered message, and we're going to get jealous and angry at that. Or we're going to become dishonest and arrogant. We'll have the truth facing us right in the face, but we will f- refuse to accept it. And we're going to say, no, I'm right. I'm going to dig my heels in. I'm not going to accept that because it challenges me too much. And I can't handle the fact that something I believe and I've held near and dear is not actually true. But as long as I say it's true, it's going to be true, right? We want to subject the word to our emotions and how we feel instead of ourselves being subjected to the word. And that's why it's absolutely imperative as a people of God that we have an honest, endearing, sincere framework for engaging Scripture. Or we'll resort to tribalism. If we're confronted with things that maybe someone says, hey, that's really not true, that's not found in Scripture, like, you know, the whole, like, godliness is, or cleanliness is next to godliness, like, let's say that someone held that as, like, their life motto, like, right? And then you confront them, and they're like, I don't think that's found in Scripture. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, well, Jimmy, John, and Jack, and Joe over there says it's true. So then we, like, we resort to tribalism. We, we have itchy ears. We find people that will agree with us 
to, to satiate our conscience, right? Because we, we, we can't handle it. And that's what we see here with the mob chasing Paul and Silas. And I think even today we see this in the church. We see churches that are dishonestly engaging Scripture or they're twisting it, right? And they're, and they're using a very foul, like fallible hermeneutic to, they're, they're approaching Scripture with an agenda instead of a Berean mind and heart, right? And so they end, the church will actually end up tolerating or enabling people and living an unholy and sinful life. This is why mainline churches are embracing things where we're like scratching our heads. We're like, what are you guys doing? Like, right? And so they're like, they're in a panic. And so in order to save, you know, the books or like keep people coming, they're, they're appealing to culture with things of culture instead of actually giving them a real genuine hope, which is found in Jesus, calling them into a repentant lifestyle to walk with a holy and mighty God that can give you hope in no matter what you face. See, Peter spoke of this in 2 Peter verse 3, chapter 15. He says, and remember our Lord's patience gives time to uh, people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. And then he goes on to talk about what, this is what happens when we don't have a healthy framework for studying scripture. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted the, his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. I took some religion classes in college that I was just confounded by, and some of the debate would be like, well, Paul said this or Jesus said that, and I'm sitting in the classroom like, no, Jesus said it all. It just He said it through Paul here, and he said it through Timothy here. You know, you know like God has spoken through people, but it's all Jesus, Right? And we see that today with like some people would be like, well, I disagree with Paul, but I agree with Jesus, right? Like we, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. I've actually heard people say that or make that argument. But the Bereans didn't respond like that. They didn't try to twist scripture to, st- to stay justified in what they were currently clinging to. They were open and fair-minded. They understood something that I think we should hold fast to. Scripture isn't impossible to understand, only sometimes difficult to understand. And there's places in Scripture where it says the Holy Spirit reveals truth. And every person in here, if you've sat here and you've claimed the name of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, which happens to all of us when we surrender to Christ, you have been filled with the Spirit of God and he is active and breathing and living in your life even when you're sitting at a table and studying Scripture. God is going to work through his Spirit to reveal truth to you. He wants you to understand his word. Why? Because then you will understand him. Then you will see him. Your heart will be for him. You will want more of him, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what he wants. He wants you to trust him. See, the Bereans subjected themselves to the objective truths of the Scriptures, they didn't consult the latest group of scholars. They didn't go and confine, you know, the famous preacher in their town. Where did they go? They went to the scriptures. 
Do you guys think it's absolutely silly that we live in a time where the statement, facts don't care about your feelings, have to be said? Isn't that weird that we have to say that sometimes? That like, I don't care how you're responding to it, it's just a true fact. That how you respond on it is your responsibility. You're in charge of that. The information is still objective and true, but what you do with it is what matters. I'm not saying that outside resources shouldn't be used. Just one, make sure they're reliable, and two, make sure that it's doesn't your study doesn't hinge on those sources. So here's some here's where the application comes in. This is where you've got that big sheet there that you can take notes. Hopefully, there's something I say that is worthy of taking notes. Uh, hopefully, you have a pen. And I will say this practically: if you don't have a paper Bible, get a paper Bible. Because a lot of times, it just practically, if you're, if you're like me at all, if I'm trying to do that, first of all, blue light just messes with me for some reason. It actually makes me really unfocused. But having paper where I can underline and notate and do all those things, sometimes that's a really practical thing that can help you engage your scriptures a little more comfortably. Plus, you don't have to worry about, like, a notification coming up when you're reading, you know, version or something or, or something like that. Uh, and I usually use the do not disturb function on my phone a lot so that I can't get anything while I'm studying. And I find that really helpful. First, first uh, tidbit of application is Jesus is the way and the purpose of studying the scriptures. He is the lens and the reason that we look through the lens, right? And those questions on that bookmark are kind of the framework that holds those lenses together. Uh, study life through the scriptures, don't study your life into the scriptures. What I mean by that is too, too much today we, we will, we will uh, impose ourselves into the scriptures or we'll try to subject the scriptures to how we feel in our experiences and we'll, we'll hold it there and we're like, no, I'm not going to take that for what it says because I've experienced this. Maybe we turn it around because we'll, we'll, we'll hold the scriptures behind us, right? And instead of looking at the world in our life through the word, we will see the world and then we'll go and we'll try to fit that in somewhere in the word. And it doesn't work because God has defined how things are. God's truth is the reason that we can have clarity to handle the things that we experience. Our, um, the reason that's hard is because the scriptures are confrontational in nature. You know why? Because they're in the antithesis. They're the, they're the ant to our, whatever. They're antithesis. I, why did I struggle with that? Too much caffeine, I guess. They're the antithesis of our sinful nature, right? That's why it's uncomfortable when we read, we read something in the scriptures and it confronts us and we're like, oh, that did not feel good, right? It's a double-edged sword. It cuts through those things, right? God circumcises the heart. You change, edification, and sanctification. Those things sometimes don't feel very good. But that shouldn't discourage us from engaging the scriptures because God is conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Ask some good questions when you're engaging the scripture. What does the text say about God? These are three simple things, and you'll find these on that bookmark. What does the text say about God? What does the text say about me and humanity? Or how is this text or this passage or this book like the narrative of this book, how is it calling me to repent and change in Jesus? What is it, what is it mobilizing me to do? Like, what, what should I go do? Um, 
some components of a good framework would be study the context. Don't just isolate things, but read it in its broader context. Study the grammar. Study how the language is used. What does that mean? Like, especially in the Psalms, there's a lot of allegories and stuff used, especially in Proverbs as well. Um, need I say more about the book of Solomon, the Song of Solomon? There's a lot of allegories in there, but so that's going to take some hard study. Uh, study the words. Research how the words are used in their context. Um, there are t- like I said, there are a ton of resources to help you with those things. Study the literary style. Is it uh, literal? Is it allegorical? Is it a narrative? Is it wisdom literature? Is it an epistle? That really matters because that will help you better understand the reason it was written or what the message of it is. And, sl- and the, finally, just slow down. You literally do, there's no rush for you or mandate for you to read your entire Bible in a year. And I would just ask, like, if you read it in a year and you get to the end, have you really have a better, better understanding of the scriptures? I think to some degree you will, but there's nothing wrong with like, like in 2019, or well, more like 2020, I saw all, this, all these things happening, right? And I was like, why are leaders making these decisions right now? Like across the world. So I read First and Second Kings, and let me tell you, if you want to see how cyclical history is, read First and Second Kings and really study like the spiritual implications of bad leadership and in like a country or a city or a town. So, so I, I took all year of 2020 and went through First and Second Kings, and let me tell you, it changed my my mind and my heart. It helped me understand like. Like, we really live in a fallen world. Like, men and women just make the same decisions over and over again. Let me tell you, like, some do's and don'ts with hermeneutics, and we'll, we'll, we'll end here and kind of get into the closing. Uh, a definite do is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Like, let, like, when you read it, there's this thing called biblical theology where you look at how that particular Scripture or passage fits in the greater context of the Bible. So, so we, we don't like read like the Chronicles of Narnia and then go to the Lord of the Rings to understand Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> like that doesn't work, right? No, in order to understand something going on in the first book, we read all three books, right? And that's what we do with Scripture is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And then that leads me to like don't let obscure passages stand on their own. Let the clearer passages that speak to that same subject make it clear, like head coverings. How many of you guys have read the head coverings passage? I think it's, it was in 1 Corinthians where it's talking about, you know, like a woman should wear a head covering, all that kind of stuff. Well, if you look at that culturally, like you will, you will kind of understand that a little bit better. But if you look at the broader context of Scripture where it talks about like men are called and given the responsibility to be the spiritual leaders in their home, right? And the head covering merely represented whose household that woman was a part of. So we, so we much more clearly understand that. But one thing to note, too, is like I don't, is don't hinge your interpretation of a passage on the cultural and historical context. Because then we almost kind of play into this like Gnosticism or secret knowledge. Because I had a conversation with somebody years ago where they were making this argument for this passage meaning this, but it completely hinged on the cultural context. I'm like, well, how does somebody in China who literally only has like three chapters of Isaiah ever going to understand that? Like that maybe they don't even have access to the historical context of that, right? So that's helpful and it can give depth and more meaningful purpose to that. But I'll just say this, even in that, the principal message of the passage is what matters the most. So don't, so don't uh, isolate passages. So sc- interpret scripture with scripture. 
let the clear passage interpret the obscure passage. Um, and in that also, like, don't hinge it on the historical and cultural context. And then that leads me to say, um, practice exegesis instead of eisegesis, right? And that goes back to what I was just talking about. Don't isolate passages. That's what eisegesis is. Isolate, eisegesis. That means you're just reading that for what it is, and then, like, you may come to a really wrong interpretation of that. So read it in its broader context. Maybe even so much you have to read the entire book to understand that one piece of it. And that kind of, like, lands me in a place where I'll end with, end with this as far as the application goes, is, like, we, like we are obsessed with devotions in, in our culture. Like, when I remember when Lifeway was open, that was, like, one of the biggest sections in the store, Right? Like, actually, the, the, the commentary section, I think, if I remember correctly, was smaller than the devotional section. And I think, again, it goes back to our need for instant gratification. Like, we, we, we want just something quick and easy, right? But the problem is, is most devotionals are eisegetic in, in nature. They're one isolated passage or, or scripture, even, with, like, a whole long, strong of paragraphs of someone else's thoughts or their interpretation of that, right? And we can really land ourselves in a bad place like that. And when we look at the Reformation, this is kind of related to where I'm going, is we look at these five solas, and one of those was sola scriptura, which means God's word is sufficient, only scripture. We, We only look to scripture. And if any of you have heard the devotional Jesus Calling, Sarah Young is quoted in like the intro to that is saying, I knew that God communicated with me in the Bible, but I yearned for more. She's making the argument for her devotional that, that if you want more, you go outside of Scripture, right? And how many of us have realized that, like, if, if that, that is what that devotional, that's the whole, like, main point of that devotion is, like, I need more beyond Scripture, So we have to be careful. We have to be a Berean in how we process those things, how we receive new information. And so... Um, this is maybe an, an opportunity for us in our study to like find some places that we need to repent of. Maybe we're the arrogant academics walking around, right? We're the, we're the Bible trivia nerds, like we know everything. Um, but study, is a, it's supposed to foster a greater love for the Lord and for our neighbor. It's also supposed to help us better understand truth. Um, you know, we're not supposed to just like, con- like apprehend that truth exists. We're supposed to comprehend its purpose, and so, you know, if that's you, you know, we, we should pray for a heart that truly desires Christ and study. Or maybe we're the lackadaisical learner and we're the devotional junkie, right? And we just, that's all we have time for. And we don't want to do the hard work of examining the scriptures and digging into them and having an eager mind. I would, I would say that you pray for a heart that desires greater things, like the greater gifts of God's word, the greater uh, narrative, like Genesis to to Revelation. There's so much there, and you're missing out on so much of that when you just get these little, like, M&Ms of the, you know, of doctrine. Like, you're you're turning down a steak and a full-course meal for just, like, candy. But take take part of the full-course meal, right? Choose that. Or maybe you're the cultural apologist. Maybe you approach the scriptures with your own agenda. Maybe you go to, to, to affirm people because it's easier to do that instead of actually taking the word for what it says and loving people and telling the truth. And I would say that you need to pray for a heart that desires to honor Christ in all things.
part of this is like we study to, to be able to love our neighbor more effectively, but at the end of the day, really it's just to show our love for the Lord. Like if we can quote Friends episodes greater than we can Scripture, that probably shows the treasure of our heart, right? And I'm not saying this to, to put all of the weight on you because if you're sitting there and you're listening to me, you're like, all of this is on me. Like you've heard, you've, you've misheard me or I've communicated poorly. And the fact of like, look to your left, look to your right, look forwards, look backwards. We have been supremely blessed with the community of Redstone. I, I think there are a lot of people here that truly desire to know God's word, know it correctly, know it well, so that they can know God, right? We are surrounded by a great group of people here that we can wrestle with the word together. It's not just up to us individually, it's up to us communally. And that is the most effective way that we can engage our neighbors in the workplace and all of those things. We can go into politics. We can go into public schools. We can go into those places that right now are being destroyed by demonic things and bring the light and the truth of God because we've spent time in the Word to understand those complex issues, to understand humanity, to understand our own sinfulness in light of other people's sinfulness. See, Scripture is able to be understood by all believers who not only seek salvation, but sincerely seek the Lord's help in understanding it. Have a sincere heart towards the scriptures. And it's okay to be practical. It's okay if like I have this life issue, therefore I want to study the Bible to see what the Bible says about this issue. That's why it's there. It's meant to be, if you don't mind the phrase, a help meet for us to help us navigate life. It's not just a book, a self-help book of wisdom and fine teachings. It's meant to be there for us, to equip us for every good work, to train us up in righteousness, right? To curb our sinful nature by circumcising our heart, to renewing our minds. The point is to just seek Jesus in your framework. If your framework is anything other than to seek Jesus or to, if it's to give you clout or if it's to, uh, with a, a hidden agenda of like something that's completely against God's agenda, you're not approaching it with a sincere Berean state of mind and heart. And so I would, I would end with this in Psalm 119 is, and I, I guess I coined this, but it's really not important, um, developing a studious worship. Like we often think of worship as song, and it is done through song. I mean, we've got, you know, we're actually going to a psalm here, which would have been a form of song. But it's also done in just engaging. Like, do you guys think the only time I love my wife is when we're on a date, and then the other days through the week where we're just doing life, I don't love her then, right? And so God is, we, we express our love through God through these big hilltop experiences, but it's also in the day-to-day stuff through engaging Scripture. So as we engage Scripture, it's also worship. We're showing our love for God. We're showing that we take what He says serious. And I'm not saying this as an expert. I do not read my Bible every day. I want to, and the tension is there, right? Like I'm exhausted, the kid's screaming, uh, Karen needs a night out, so I'm watching the kid. Uh, You know, so life happens, And God understands that, and he is gentle and patient with us. But in Psalm 119, in verses 33 through 40, this is a prayer that as you sit down and as you study, 
This is a prayer that you could say before you study just to kind of help stir your affections towards the Lord and to kind of aim your mind in the right place. He says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it, observe it with, with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. May we pray that every day. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. And so as we ask, in your righteousness, give me life, we can take communion. Because as we take communion, we're remembered that the purpose that, of which we gather and we celebrate and we read scriptures is because we remember Jesus. So as we remember him through taking communion, we remember him in our study of the word. And I'm telling you that we can see it with the Bereans that God honored their sincere hearts with giving them eternal life. So how much more for you that sit here are already his children, will he honor that time with him in the word, right? It's an intimate thing. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was having this intimate meal with his disciples, and he holds up the cup and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. It washes away all sin. And then he holds up the bread and he says, this is the bread that represents my body that is broken for you. And so as we take this time, remember Christ in this moment. Remember his goodness. As you taste the wine or the juice and the bread, everybody loves juice and bread, right? That, that's able to eat it. It's sweet and savory. And that's what God's word is like when we give it our earnest and sincere hearts. And so let me pray for us. And there's two tables in the front. There's two tables in the back. And then take some time of communion. Uh, men, lead your families. Community groups, pray together. Take communion together. Uh, Father, we just glorify you, Lord. We just praise you, Father, for the way that you have blessed us in so many ways with the rain and the sunshine and, uh, Lord, and the, the flowers and the beauty of creation. But also, Lord, at the end of the day, we, you've given us this great book of, of your written word, your spoken word, your inspired word, your inerrant word, Lord, that we can truly build our lives around. And it's such a gift, but Jesus, more than that, is the gift that you gave us through the cross, through the redemption of your sacrifice, and that, the, that we have been redeemed from death and into life, that we have been washed of our sins and cleansed and made holy and set apart. So Lord, in this moment, we, we pray and remember as a community that you are the purpose and reason and the mission of why we exist and live and breathe in Jesus' name.